Money FM 89.3, the best of prime time. In the spotlight on Money FM 89.3. Thanks for joining us on Primetime. I'm Bharati Jagdish. Should you buy the British pound now? Now, the UK was just mourning the death of its queen and now it faces another low point. The British pound tanked. 5% earlier this week to a 37-year low against the US dollar. The collapse of the pound is impactful in a way because it's a story about a country's fall from glory, some might say. The US dollar, meanwhile, has been strengthening against many currencies as the Fed was aggressively hiking interest rates. Any country that is not raising its interest rates would see its currency weaken against the greenback. To talk more about this, Professor Pushan Dutt, Professor of Economics and Political Sciences at INSEAD, joins us now. Hi, Pushan. Hi, how are you? Doing well. First of all, I should congratulate you on starting as chair of the economics department at INSEAD. Thank you. So let's get down to business, as I know you like to. Now, the Bank of England has had to step in in response to the market turmoil triggered by the mini-budget in the UK. The IMF has come out to warn the UK government of the repercussions of this budget as well. How are you reading all of this? So let's go back a week. So the UK finance minister announced his shock and awe approach to his mini-budget. So he delivered the shock. The pound briefly collapsed. Pension funds uh, nearly went under. The Bank of England had to ride to the rescue. And then, as you mentioned, the UK got scolded by the IMF. So one thing is very clear. Mm. We need less shock and more awe. Mm. <laughs> so, so why did this happen? Uh, so keep in mind that uh, inflation is very high in the UK. So CPI inflation uh, is running close to 10%. So this is a mix of a negative supply shock, think the Ukraine war, and a positive demand shock, think fiscal stimulus during COVID. Now, the Bank of England is the guardian of inflation, like all central banks, and it was planning to hike interest rates and squeeze demand. So this is contractionary monetary policy. But along came the Chancellor, who announced a £45 billion worth of tax cuts, uh, mainly for high earners and businesses. So we have expansionary fiscal policy coming from the finance minister and a contractionary monetary policy pulling in opposite directions. So what does this mean? This means that the Bank of England will have to be even more aggressive to counter the fiscal policy uh, boost that is coming from the Treasury. Now, in this scenario, the pound should have strengthened, but the pound actually plunged. Now, why does this happen? Well, investors actually clear currency either because they think the returns are too low or if the risk is too high. In the UK's case, it was the latter. So mm. they, the markets basically saw this, this budget as a sign of fiscal irresponsibility, that their debt would go on an unsustainable trajectory. So they fled the pound and this sort of created the currency and interest rates on bonds spiked. They're the highest since 1979. Now, will the UK go the way of like an emerging market like Argentina or Sri Lanka? I don't think so. I think the Bank of England is independent and it will do whatever it takes to restore its credibility and kill off this inflation. Here's the thing. Some economists have said if you look at the UK's mini budget, it is not entirely rubbish. What do you think? So it's not entirely rubbish in the sense that I think the UK has to think about the long term in terms of increasing growth rates. Now, what has happened since the global financial crisis in 2009 is that if you look at UK productivity growth, so this is measured in terms of like GDP per hour worked, uh, it has actually been very, very low. Now, during after the global financial crisis, the UK, what they did was they actually went for austerity, 
when they should have gone for fiscal expansion. Now, today, they are doing exactly the opposite. In, in an inflationary environment, they're actually, you know, having a, very, a, a fiscal boost. Now, why, does the, why might the budget make sense? Well, because energy prices are rising, right? And households are going to need help. Mm-hmm. So what does this mean? You need targeted fiscal policy to help poorer households so that they can survive this winter without the lights going out or without the heat shutting off. But that doesn't mean that you have to give these massive tax cuts to the rich who will, you know, survive the winter perfectly well. So this is exactly what the IMS said, that the fiscal policy is not correctly targeted. And it's coming at sort of a wrong time, which means that the Bank of England has to step in and uh, be a lot more aggressive. Yeah, I mean, that is the issue now. But in spite of all the warnings, they're saying they will not abandon their mini budget. So here there is a saying by the British economist uh, John Keynes, who once said in Parliament that when facts change, I change my mind. What do you do, sir? <laughs> now here mm. the facts have spoken. The markets have spoken. Economists are appalled. The IMF has issued a stern warning. In fact, actually, if you think about it, the UK government bond market nearly broke as pension funds who had these complex derivatives suddenly experienced margin calls and they had to sell UK bonds and that created a cascading effect. So the Bank of England had to step in and buy bonds, which is again expansionary monetary policy. So this is stunning to see that the central bank should actually buy bonds and the UK inflation is running at 10%. Now the UK Treasury is not changing its mind. In fact, they're hitting against the IMF, some mm. called the IMF woke. Now this contempt of expertise is actually not new uh, coming from the, the UK Conservative Party. So this it started with Brexit, where uh, one of their ministers, Michael Gove, said that the people have had enough of experts. Now, this has pervaded all levels of government, but I think expertise is key here. So, you know, they have to think about, you know, what works, especially in the scenarios that they're facing. Here's the thing. How far do you think the BOE will go to tame inflation amid all of these developments? So there are two ways in which central banks actually uh, assure markets. One is through action. Uh, what are these actions? They actually change interest rates so they can change the money supply. This is sometimes called quantitative easing. The second is something which is called forward guidance. So they tell markets what they're going to do. Now, the reason that they're doing this is they're trying to deal with expectations of the future, like will inflation be high in the future or low in the future? Now, the Bank of England in recent days has only been doing this forward guidance part, you know, just talking about that they're going to be aggressive. Now, I think that part uh, where they're just talking and calming the markets, that is going to be increasingly tough. So to restore its credibility, what the Bank of England will do is it's going to raise interest rates very quickly and violently. Now, there's another option, which is that the government could actually reverse its mini budget. This will make the Bank of England job much easier. But as I said, the distrust of experts is a big stumbling block. Mm. So just keep in mind, they did not allow an independent appraisal of the budget because they did not uh, trust this independent office for budget responsibility to analyze the implications of the budget. So they left it to the market to issue a report card. And the market did by, as you said, driving the pound to a 37-year low. 
So I don't think anything will happen on the fiscal front. I don't think they're going to reverse it. They're going to follow exactly the stuff that Einstein warned against, which is, you know, do the same thing again and again and hope for a better outcome. (laughs) Which will probably not work, clearly, right? Here's the thing, though. When the pound started its slide, a lot of people said, oh, great, now's a good time to visit the UK, right? But... After they had a closer look at what was going on, I think people realized that this is way more serious than was thought initially, especially after the IMF made that uncharacteristic statement about the mini-budget. And some analysts are saying that is indicative of the fact that we are very, very close to a global recession, that this is what the UK's mini-budget is going to trigger. So really, how should we in this part of the world be dealing with this, be bracing ourselves for the ripple effects here? So it's true that a weak pound is good for travellers and tourists. There's one thing we should keep in mind, that the pound has already recovered to the point where it was before the budget announcement. Mm. So markets have actually seen what the Bank of England has been doing in the last few days, and they, you know, and they uh, see those things as credible. The Bank of England is going to go after inflation. Uh, so unless these travelers and tourists are exceedingly nimble and they bought pounds like three to four days back, I don't think they've managed to take advantage of the sharp correction. After all, they're tourists, they're not traders in foreign exchange markets. So I think uh, for countries in the region, what, what uh, the movement of the pound is not going to have a big impact. Why? Because the UK is not a big trading partner for most of the countries in this region. So for instance, Singapore trades more with Taiwan and Korea than it does with the UK. So the changes in the currency value is not going to have a big impact. But what these countries have to worry about is actually their currency weakening against the US dollar. Uh, so if uh, if it weakens a lot, this can actually trigger a sequence of balance of payments crisis. If they've borrowed in U.S. dollars on international debt markets, this can trigger debt crisis. So uh, this is likely, therefore, if the, if the currencies decline against the U.S. dollar, it will make imports more expensive, especially food and fuel, as these are traded in U.S. dollars, and that will add to inflationary pressures. So uh, if I if I dive a little bit deeper into the countries in this region, they don't run very big balance of payments deficits or current account deficits, but they will have to raise interest rates significantly, and that's going to deepen the oncoming recession. And that certainly will have some impact, wouldn't it, on this part of the world as well? Absolutely. So it's going to you know reduce investment because basically the cost of capital goes up. It's going to reduce uh, new home prices because mortgage rates are going to go up. Uh, it's going to pinch our budgets because, you know, inflation is high and, you know, energy like electricity and uh, tariffs are, are essentially on an upward trajectory. So even uh, so, I think for all of these countries, what they have to worry about is their exchange rate, not with respect to the pound, but with respect to the U.S. dollar. What are the interest rates, not with respect to the U.K. interest rates, but with respect to the U.S. interest rates? Certainly, that will be something we'll be watching. Something else we're watching, of course, is the Russia-Ukraine conflict. Russia is now saying it will formally annex four more parts of Ukraine. And this is just days after unrecognized referenda. Talk to us about how you're reading this. What game is Mr. Vladimir Putin playing here? So I think the main bet here is the following. So I just want to uh, step back and say that, you know, the use of the term referendum is actually not very valid, right? It's yeah. not clear that people have a choice uh, choice about it. So 
the main bet from my perspective that Vladimir Putin is, is, is playing is the following, that he thinks that if Russia formally annexes these four parts of Ukraine, then it can claim that NATO, which is providing weapons uh, to the Ukrainians, that these NATO weapons are being used against the Russian territory. So then it can threaten more severe consequences for NATO, for the U.S., including using nuclear weapons. Now, Putin has been oblique about the nuclear saber rattling, uh, but it has been showing up on TV channels and by members in the Duma, the, the Russian parliament. And even some com- commentators in the West are worried that he will do something cat- catastrophic if he's backed into a corner. But again, I would like to point out, he's not backed into a corner. There is no existential threat to the Russian state. If he's in a corner, the way to get out of the corner is to just cross back over the border. Okay, so I don't think that the escalation is likely. And uh, I do not think that, uh, you know, holding this referendum and calling these, uh, by the way, these, uh, these territories are independent because they have to be independent and then they have to, uh, have to petition to join Russia, even though the referendum was, do you want to join Russia? Mm. So I think Putin is looking for an exit. So, you know, in, in this last conference, which happened on September 16th, when he was asked, does the war plan need to be adjusted? He actually stressed Russia's minimum objective rather than the maximum objective. He says the main goal is the liberation of the entire territory of the Donbass. Okay? So this is a much narrower focus. The thing is, is there a road really out of this war? Is there a real exit here? I mean, a lot of people have been talking about how sanctions on Russia have not been effective. They have more than made up for the sanctions, the effects of the sanctions by continuing to supply countries like China and India at even higher prices, energy prices that is. So what really is next? What can Putin possibly do and hopefully bring an end to this entire conflict? So since Russia invaded, uh, the U.S. and the, the Europe and their allies have unleashed a barrage of sanctions. So these, they started off with financial sanctions. Uh, they followed it up with, uh, you know, constraints on oligarchs. On there were export controls, and there's an oncoming oil embargo. Now, in the short run, the objective was to starve the Russian war machine, and this was not very successful because there was always an exit clause, which was that Russia continued to sell oil and gas. This is going to come to an end, at least from the European perspective. But Russia, of course, as you pointed out, continues to sell oil and gas to uh, India and China. But keep in mind that India and China are actually increasingly concerned about what is happening in, in in the Ukraine war. And they have uh, very publicly, for the first time, you know, expressed their concern. Earlier, they were just keeping quiet. Now, I think it's important to think about the long run. So what's the long run objective of the, of the sanctions? So in the long run, the intent is to actually reduce Russia's productive capacity. So uh, if I think about in a three-year horizon or a five-year horizon, this isolation that Russia is experiencing, this will create actually a complete economic chaos in Russia. So, for example, planes will lack spare parts. They will not be able to fly. Telecom networks will find it really hard to upgrade, you know, to maintain these networks. And finally, semiconductors, the lack of chips will impair their defense equipment. So as the longer the time horizon is, the more Russia is getting isolated, the more the sanctions are going to bite. So from Europe's perspective, it's very critical that they that they see this winter through. This winter is going to be hard. 
But if they see this winter through, then it's going to, they, they're going to emerge in a stronger position. Thank you very much, Pushan. Pushan Dad, Professor of Economics and Political Sciences at INSEAD. Thanks for joining us on Primetime. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.